Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and it's a lovely summer's day today but I'm hiding down here in the bowels of Somerset House because Photo London is on upstairs and all the nice sunny spots outside, so like the courtyard or the terrace, are all absolutely teeming with people. So I've decided to sneak off down here to record this introduction. For this week's episode, I'm speaking with Eddie Frankel, the editor and founder of Oof magazine. Oof pitches itself as the art and football magazine. And as Eddie explains in this conversation, he launched it earlier this year with the intention of getting issue two out just in time for this summer's World Cup. But he's also keen to stress that while this magazine does include lots of football stuff, it's really much more of an arts magazine that uses football as a meta for exploring other things. That second issue has just gone to print, so he came over to speak about why he started the magazine in the first place, what the reception has been like so far, and why he's not going to be publishing issue three until next year, so that's 2019, even though he reckons he could have it ready in time for this autumn. He also reveals why the magazine is the specific shape and size it is, which is one of the silliest and loveliest pieces of print fetishization I think I've ever heard. He's a professional editor, he works for Time Out, so he knows this stuff absolutely inside out, but he's also an amateur doing this for the love, and I think you can hear that excitement in his voice. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eddie Frankel from OOF. All right, Eddie, thank you very much for coming and dropping in at Somerset House. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. We're a little bit like Fort Knox at the moment because of Photo London. So we, we made it through the security it was, places. It was difficult. It really was. But it's worth it. It's I worth hope it. so, yeah. Because you're going to tell us all about this magazine called Oof. Yeah. What have you been making? Yeah, I've been making Oof for, I guess the idea came about around sort of two years ago. Um, as part of my day job is that I'm Time Out London's art and culture editor and art critic. And I'm also a huge football fan. And it just sort of, football eats into your whole life. And when you're football obsessive, like I am, uh, it's quite hard to get through a week without constantly thinking about football, constantly talking about football. And I was finding that I was meeting artists or going to galleries and talking to people who work in galleries. And I'd be thinking about how annoyed I was that Spurs had let in that last minute equaliser. <laughs> uh, and I'd think, why can I not talk to these people about football? And eventually I'd, I met a few artists who asked me, why are you limping on your way into this interview? And well, I played five-a-side last night and I got really hurt. And you went, oh, I played five-a-side as well. And suddenly I started realising that football was everywhere in art because, it, like I said, if you love football, it eats into your whole life. So obviously artists love football as well. It eats into their lives. And the more time I spent thinking about football and art, the more I realised that there was tonnes and tonnes of art that used football as part of its medium. And the idea just seemed so simple to make a, ma- a football magazine about art uh, that I was shocked that no one else had done it. And the more you look into it, the more you find and there's just there's so much art about that uses football. And so I thought, all right, I'll do it. And it just sort of came out of nowhere. So, so you say it's a two-year process there are lots of people who listen to this who are 
making or thinking of making their own magazine. So why does why, why does that take two years? Surely, mm. like three three weeks. They're yeah. like they you know. How, <laughs> what's what's the process? Well, I think for me, I uh, I very easily could have done it by myself, but I was. I think I didn't want to be alone in the process. I think when you're sort of making decisions about sort of splurging thousands of pounds on on paper and things like that, I I just wanted to have someone who I could talk it through with. So I went and had meetings with uh, with people who publish magazines, who publish books, uh, and it went sort of backwards and forwards between various people. Some people had lots of interest, and some people wanted to publish the magazine for me. Uh, but they wanted it to, one one group of people, a very big art publishing house, wanted to turn it into a free uh, handout at football games on sort of newsprint. And I was sort of willing to do it, but then I thought, actually, that's going to compromise what I want it to be. Uh, eventually, I met um, a guy called... So I, I sort of went through this very long process of giving up on it and then going, no, I'm not going to give up. And then going, oh, actually, I am going to give up, and I'm not going to give up. And I gave up. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, a guy got in contact with me, he runs a gallery, Justin Hammond. He runs a gallery called J Hammond Projects in Archway. And he got in contact saying, I heard you're thinking of doing a football magazine, why you come and talk to me? Had a chat and he said that he'd be wanting to do something like that for ages. He's also a Spurs fan. He loves football and obviously loves art. And he really just wanted to be involved. So that took us, took me about a year and a half to find him, or for him to find me. Uh, and then, so it wasn't until he came along that I actually started putting the mag together because there was no point in reaching out to artists or designers. Um, so I think actually the process of putting Oofishu One together was about six months, realistically. Yeah, yeah. And then, and so you, you've got this thing out in the world. The, uh, the strapline is the arts and football magazine. Mm. And reading your introduction, you talk about both the way that um, football has this ability to do a thing that art is always trying to do, mm-hmm. so the, so in terms of make people feel something, and also football appears in art. So it seems like this kind of symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. that, that you've just also encapsulated as these two parts of your life mm-hmm. coming together. Yeah. It, it, has it come out the way that you wanted and expected it to? Yeah, I think so. I... Um, so the spiel I give everyone is sort of what's in my editor's letter, which is that thousands and thousands, millions of people around the world every Saturday go to football matches or they watch it in bars, they watch it in their living room or their laptop in bed. Uh, and as one, they feel a collective emotion. So if you're one of 1.6 million odd Manchester United fans or whatever watching that particular game, you'll feel the joy of that goal scored or you'll feel the, the unbearable pain of conceding. Uh, and collective emotion, looking at something and feeling something with a group of other people is essentially what art tries to do. And I'm not saying that um, football is better than art. I'm think because I don't think football intends for that. I don't think football's intention is to make you feel. I think it's a really neat byproduct, but I think art's intention is to make you feel. Whatever that feeling is, if that feeling is a thought about critical theory, then that's still something. Uh, so those two are really related. And then football appears constantly in art, and the reason it appears constantly in art is because football's massive. And what was interesting about putting the mag together is that none of the art is ever actually about football and if it's about football it's really really boring (laughs) because 
no one actually cares what some artist thinks about how beautiful you know, uh, you know that Zidane volley was. And that's really boring. What football actually does is act as a metaphor for all these other things in society. It's a metaphor for poverty, for political strife, for violence, for war, for passion, for love, for belief. And that's why it's good. I really don't care about about the beauty of the football. We have, we've banned a couple of phrases from the magazine. The first one is the beautiful game. We do not say it because we don't think football is beautiful. Football actually reflects all this other stuff about society. And I also think that if you made a football magazine and tried to give it to a bunch of art people, they'd go, I don't care about football. And right. so I actually now get to go, it's actually an art magazine. It's just a <laughs> bit of football. All right, so let, let's dig into this and think about some of the the... the very direct effects that football has because it strikes me there's a, a, a piece in here uh, which is uh, Leo Fitzmaurice's um, post-match which I'd, I'd never seen before and this is an artist who over like a, what, 10 years or something mm -hmm. a long time has turned cigarette packets into like sort of little football shirts mm -hmm. so the effect is that you have this just immediately recognisable image on the page. Mm -hmm. So it's recognisable because it's a cigarette packet, you recognise what that is, you've been to a pub before, you, you can imagine this guy sat in the corner of the pub folding it up, and it, it seems like that's part of what you talked about in terms of the power of football, because mm -hmm. it's this everyman sports. Yeah, and that's, with if it's more, it's just really interesting because that uh, immediate recognisability uh, says a lot about lots and lots of different things. Those little tiny football shirts are so full of ideas and it, that it's sort of shocking when you actually start getting into it. His, it has something to say about consumerism, it has something to say about the way, about globalization, about the way cigarette packets, these amazing bits of branding, how Marlborough can end up with uh, Arabic script on it and be turned into a football shirt. It makes you think about uh, the way we're susceptible to advertising uh, mm. in, this, in the way that football shirts are branded. It makes you think about about cigarettes, you know, that sounds silly, but it makes you think about the fact that um, cigarette pack, as a cigarette company might sponsor a football team, and so you'll say, well, beer, how many football teams are sponsored by, by beer companies? And we start going, oh, yeah, this is great, in the stands with our beer guts, drinking a pint of Chang. Uh, you know, that's incredible. It's, we're being sold something that's not actually happening on the pitch there. So in that tiny, tiny football shirt, He's encapsulated a ridiculous amount of the conflict that's sort of inherent, not just in football, but in economics. And that's really, that's really pretty shocking. That's something so tiny. That's what's pretty, I love that Leo Fitzmaurice piece. He's awesome. It's very cool when you see them all lined up alongside each other as well. Mm. That I had a look and he, he's exhibited them together, I think, hasn't he? Yeah, huge, huge walls of them. I think he stopped making them because I think he's just had enough of snipping at uh, cigarette packets. But yeah, he does these big floor to ceiling displays of them. And they're, they're just amazing because you end up sort of obsessing over the different sorts of branding and the different colours. And uh, I think also he, he sort of had to stop making them because cigarette branding has died because now you've got all the warnings on them. And I think in England now we don't have any branding on them at all. They're all grey and with uh, the picture of the guy looking down at his penis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The I mean, I should say at this point, I'm not really a massive football fan. Mm -hmm. I'm also not a smoker. So this is, uh, this is not in my wheelhouse, as you yeah. said. But, uh, I but I would hope that, that actually what that does is it, um, 
you're not a football fan, you're not a smoker, but it's but all those ideas are our art ideas that you that are expressed through something that's related to football. So I think that's actually a really good way of encapsulating what OOF is about. That it's, it's in the culture. Mm-hmm. The, and interestingly as well, I think, you, you don't shy away from the uglier side of the game. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a story in here uh, where you go to a, a game in Krakow, um, which just reads like the most terrifying and unpleasant experience. Like here, here's this nice art editor going and standing in with a bunch of ultras. The, the, t- tell us about the, the story behind that. Uh, so I went to an exhibition in London at a gallery called Adela Santi of an artist called Marcin Dudek, who's a Polish artist from Krakow. Um, and all of his art is about his youth as a football hooligan. And he was sort of relatively high up in the KS Krakowia sort of hooligan firm. Uh, I think by the time he was sort of 17, 18, he was sort of one from the top. Uh, and so he had led this incredibly violent life and his art over the past few years has started reflecting that. And so I went into this exhibition and there were um, Jesmonite casts of Adidas tracksuit bottoms. And those tracksuit bottoms were actually being worn by his brother when his brother got stabbed. And so these white Adidas tracksuit bottoms were actually covered in blood. Uh, it was full of, the exhibition full of balaclavas and each named after one of the high ranking people in the hooligan firm. And so I think he was really trying to confront and deal with the violence of his past. And so I met him and was speaking to him about Oof and said, when was the last time you went to a football game? And he said that it was 20 years ago when he was uh, 17 and he doesn't want to go back. And I said, would you go back with me? And he went, yeah, all right. And so it was this sort of opportunity for him to finally reconfront his violent past. And so I flew out to Krakow on an awful rainy, windy day in October. And he wanted, he was like, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it properly. Um, So he hadn't been back to the football since he was 17, maybe 18. Uh, We walked around, uh, the first thing he took me to see was a place where he got beaten so badly with uh, bits of timber in the middle of a a sort of crossroads, but on like a zebra crossing. He got beaten so badly, ended up in hospital. Um, And so he was just taking me through all the places he got chased. And he took me to, you know, he's not innocent in all this, took me to to places where he used to attack buses. Municipal buses would stop at a bus stop. Him and his mates would run onto the bus and just start beating up opposing fans. Doesn't matter if they were kids, women, young, old, doesn't matter. Then they'd run off. We then went through a walk through the uh, arrival district. And the thing about Krakow that's actually really interesting is that uh, even though it's a very old city, it's recent, like it's population boom happened with communism and so the people there have no real you know it's not like in London where if you're from North London you support Spurs West London you support Chelsea etc etc you've got your regions out there your districts you can have neighboring districts that support different teams on the other side you can have a district that's surrounded on all sides by the opposing team and those districts are controlled by the hooligan firms Uh, so we sort of walked around and got a bit scared then we went to his home area and felt a bit better and then went to the game and he was convinced that they'd accept him back and there was me speaking absolutely no polish uh <laughs> looking like an absolute yeah you can imagine what i look like uh stood in the middle of all these hooligans and the game kicks off and they all crush into the middle and i'm just stood in the middle and they start singing and chanting and they turn around to us and they go why aren't you singing? And I go, I don't know, I don't speak Polish. And they go, sing, sing right now. And I'm turning to much saying, what are they saying? He's saying, you better sing, mate. And so I'm just going, <laughs> and 
having literally no idea what I'm saying, just occasionally hoping that I'm saying Krakowia at the right time. Uh, it turned into a bit of a fight at one point, uh, but we got out of there, uh, and it was it was really bizarre. It was really intense, but I think what that shows you is that for the people who support Cares Krakowia and uh, the opposing team, uh, the uh, Viswa, you know, it's not like they weren't watching the football when they were there. They were, when the goal was scored, they didn't cheer. When they conceded, they didn't cheer. They sang the whole time. They weren't looking at the game. This was their, this was their community and they were totally right to be nasty to us because we were infiltrating their community. We had no place being in there. We shouldn't have been there. And looking back, it was incredibly stupid. It was dangerous and it was stupid and it was offensive to the people whose community that was that we'd just show up and be like, all right, guys, let's watch some football. I think... And I think that, again, sort of reflects on wider society. This has, we didn't watch football that night. They didn't watch football that night. And we shouldn't have been there. And this was just about a community and us infiltrating it. And it was, it was stupid. <laughs> so you, you, made, you made it out alive for, oh, yeah. from that one. So that, that's, kind of, that's the story that sticks out in my mind the most from issue one. Yes. You've just sent issue two to print. Mm. So tell us what can we expect from that? Um, the a similar so we've got a similar sort of set of features in issue two. Uh, issue two's sort of version of that is an artist called Dominic Watson, who's a brilliant uh, young English artist. Uh, he heard a story that um, the Argentinian football player uh, Gabriel Batistuta, who played for oh my God uh, Fiorentina, sorry, uh, he heard that. So they. He had that he'd been there for he went when he was at Fiorentina they got relegated he stayed with them and he helped them get back up to the top division and they built a statue of him and so there's this horrible papier-mâché statue painted gold and it stood at the top of uh, right 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 where the all the ultras stand and they were really proud of it and they showed how much they loved this hero and then he left them at the most important time and he went to Roma uh, and so they destroyed the statue. So Dominic Watson went to try and find the statue and didn't find the statue. So it's all about the different stories of what might have happened to it. Did it get put in storage? Did it get split up like uh, like little bits of a saint and put and held in different sort of churches? Uh, or did it just get destroyed out of anger? So again, almost nothing to do with football and everything to do with the passion and that you have for your God, you know, your footballing God, this guy who, who changed, who, gave his life to you and who you believe in so much and who then betrays you, that's an incredibly sad and powerful story. And the fact that that's embodied in a statue, I think is really, really interesting. So I really love that story. And he did these drawings of it, which I really love as well. He's great. And this is obviously all happening now in 2018. The World Cup mm. is just around the corner. Is this all canny timing on your part or is this just it's kind of tumbled out as it's tumbled out? No, it was done on purpose. We released the first issue in February with the, because it's biannual, so the plan was to release uh, OOF 2 six months later. It's close to five months, but deal with it. It's for the World Cup. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was on purpose. You know, we, there's no better time to, to release a football magazine than the World Cup, right? I think that seems sensible. Well, I mean, this is the time when people like me start to get interested yeah. in football. So I, I, I will be interested for about the next month and a bit in, <laughs> in football. But noticeably in your first issue, there's no advertising mm -hmm. in there. Is that true for the second one? Yeah, I think that's something we want to keep definitely for the first two issues, especially because I, I think, you know, it sort of helps that I'm, this isn't uh, like my first publication. I'm a 
you know, I'm a professional journalist, and I, so I could also use the resources at work. Uh, so essentially, making this magazine was very, very cheap, uh, and so we don't need to. Uh, you know, we we broke even on the first one, and we've already sort of broken even on the second. So why two pre-sales? Pre-sales, yeah. Right. Nice. Um, so we don't really need to put advertising in it, and the sort of design ideas that are in this. Um, we've got various little things in it that we're very happy about in terms of the design. Uh, we didn't really want to sully them with advertising. I think we probably could have maybe had eight ads in this one, but I just thought, well, if we're going to do ads, let's like actually do ads and do when we can get lots and it's going to make a difference and you can tell the difference between ads and the actual copy. So yeah, it's worth holding off, I reckon. So, the, so is the next one the same size and, and pagination? Uh, it's a little, it's the same size, so it's this, <laughs> the most expensive thing about making this magazine is that we made it a stupid size <laughs> uh, for, for a really stupid reason, uh, which is that, uh, so first of all, we wanted it to look like a football program that you get outside the ground. <clears throat> so the idea was to do an art journal in a football program format. Um, so you'll recognize that size, but it's not A3 or A4 or A5. Uh, it's a specific set of <laughs> dimensions which... Uh, are, uh, relate to the size of Tottenham Hotspur's old pitch. <laughs> uh, so it's a little, it's a little. I'm afraid if you're not a Spurs fan, you won't like it, and I'm sorry. Uh, but for us, it was this little uh, gift we gave to ourselves that we like. We will literally spend eight hundred pounds that, <laughs> that we don't need to spend making this uh, size that we think is adorable. Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, that's, so it's basically if you look at ooh from above, that's the size of the old White Hart Lane pitch. What the dimensions? <laughs> That's, I think, the most stupid reason <laughs> size I've ever had. Amazing. Okay, so then, so you're sticking with it. So it's a, it's a like a as you said, it's it's reminiscent of a, a football program, mm-hmm. like the, the the smaller size. And so you're now looking at this as presumably your uh, last uh, issue of 2018. Mm-hmm. So you'll be back again early 2019. Yeah. Do you have any ideas? the moment of what that's going to hold for you yeah I think the thing so I'm I'm really so Oof issue one has Petrichor on the cover and it has uh, Rose Wiley in it so there's a good you know, you'd think that if you're making a football magazine having uh, a gender balance might be quite difficult but actually quite a lot of women female artists uh, make art that has something to do with football and I think at the very last minute with Oof issue two one of our main uh uh, features dropped out and that was a female artist um, for a really horrible reason she said that she didn't want to be associated with a football magazine I was like, it's an art magazine actually so it's really you can imagine how pissed off I was um, but that was really disappointing to me and we didn't have time to recuperate so I want to make sure that in 2019 we have a better gender balance uh, in the magazine and actually I think you know I want to make sure that it represents all sides of football and art because it happens everywhere and I really, you know, it's something I'm, I'm passionate about, passionate about my day job in here that making sure that the magazine is representative of a wider truth about art and football. So I think that's what it's going to hold. But um, UF issue two, actually, we're doing an exhibition uh, to go along with the magazine. So I think uh, the plan for UF issue three is to maybe think more about curating more football art stuff. So we're putting on an exhibition of very aggressive football art uh, because that's what we're interested in. And so I think for if Oof issue three will have more of that. I know kind of who I want on the cover of issue three right now. Um, 
Yeah, we'll see. It's exciting. The I, I, thing is, I actually, we could do OOF issue three in October if we wanted to, but I've already committed to biannual, so I'm not going to change the triannual. Pace yourself. I Pace know, yourself. I, know, I should. So, the, so these pre-sales are going well already. Where can someone go and, and pre-order their copy of issue two? Uh, oofmagazine.com is where you can get it and we're stocked in places like Artword and Mag Culture and uh, all the big museum shops in London they are our big supporters uh, so yeah I think that's about it that's where it'll be excellent well congratulations on this so far uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing this second issue thank you very much Okay, that's all for this week. I think Eddie is very wise to stick to his biannual plans rather than rushing to get another one out this year. And I'll be very interested to see what happens if and when OOF does beef up and start to include advertising in the mix. It is really impressive that they're managing to break even on issue two based purely on pre-sales. I know a lot of magazine makers who'd be very jealous of that. So remember, issue one is sold out. And if you would like to make sure that you catch issue two, head over to oofmagazine.com and order your copy now. And of course, remember that we have lots of other conversations with magazine makers in our archives. Just head over to SoundCloud or iTunes and search for Stack Magazines, and you can pick through hours and hours of listening. And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver next week's episode to you as soon as it's ready. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with another episode next week. <laughs>